If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we'll talk to Josh Levine, executive editor at Slate and co-host of their really great podcast, Hang Up and Listen, all about his love affair with ping pong. Nice shot, Josh. And we will go deep on Game of Thrones with Washington Nationals pitcher Burke Badenhop, who has some serious hot takes for Arya Stark. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. Joining me in the studio, a leading sports media strategist who has worked for the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands, it's the fresh-faced PR guy, Adam Willard. Uh, Adam, how are you? Here we go. I mentioned something personal about myself, and you use it against me. Your face is fresh. Uh, not really. I'm a little bit scraggly right now. Uh, These people want the fantasy. Give them the fantasy. One sure. day, just tell them you look great. Yeah, I'm very well manicured right now, everybody. Perfect. Was that so hard? No. No. <laughs> also with us on the phone, our Emmy-winning sports producer, not at all fresh-faced, Gareth Hughes in New York. Gareth, how are you? When I could grow a beard like my dad, that was like the greatest day of my life. I'm not fresh-faced. Have any of you guys grown a like a long beard? No. No. Why would I don't we? have that in me. No, I don't think so. I have can't. I have, mine's, I have a gray beard. It's a gray beard. So oh, this house, I go scruffy during the week out of sheer laziness because I get up at five in the morning to go to work for two hours, like a two-hour commute. But I don't grow long beard because I it's gray. How, what kind of bet could we get going that would make you grow the gray beard? I was gonna do it once a couple of years ago around Christmas, and um, I because I was on vacation, and uh-huh. I was like, I'm just gonna grow a beard while I'm out. And my wife was like, That's perfect. Like Santa, you can dress as him. And I was just like, I, I'm Ooh, walking upstairs I'm right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's also, funny. also so th- with us, staring at my gray beard and envisioning a terrible future where he will no longer be young and fresh-faced, our amazing producer, Joe Reed. Joe, be honest. When did you first grow facial hair? What year? Oh, it wasn't until late, I don't know, late high school, early college. Is but what year was that, like 2007? Uh, <laughs> I graduated high school in 2008, yeah, so... Ugh, around there. sorry you what we just talked about this i was born in the 90s come on oh, i'm only man. 26 yes man yeah we uh, gotta stop harping I'm on this i'm 29 i've feel... aged out of yeah oh, go yeah. to hell man. yeah whatever hey, Brad, i'm not I, afraid to get old man i'm got well, other than shaving my gray beard i'm not afraid to get old i guess i'm a total hypocrite but i going back to what gareth said about being able to grow a beard like your dad my facial hair uh, is better but if i if i may tell a couple stories about my dad uh, I am 6'5". I've been 6'5 since I was 17. At one point, I told my dad, uh, my dad is 6'8". Um, I told <laughs> my dad, as I was a 6'5", 17-year-old, Dad, I am going to catch you. I'm going to be taller than you. And my dad looks at me and he says, Boy, <laughs> it's, like a dog. it's like a dog chasing after a car. 
what are you going to do when you catch it? Oh, <laughs> uh, the, the wisdom of John Willard. And he was right. Until 10 years later, where we were having a sports debate. On uh, what? About Tim Tebow and his effectiveness oh, about wait, his future. Wait, wait. Were you my dad claimed, pro or anti-Tebow? Which side of this were you on? Anti-Tebow. As a player, seems like a great, seems like a fine, he's a great guy. We hammered him. He's going to come on the show. But not at a. I told my dad at the time that Tim Tebow was starting for the Denver Broncos, that he would be out of the league within three years, which came to fruition. My dad and I argued back and forth, and I said to my dad, "Dad, here's the thing." There's only one person in this room who gets paid for his opinion on sports, and it's not you. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the first time in my life that my dad looked at me and walked out of the room silently. Hey, Adam, well played. There, there is only one person in this room who gets paid for his opinion about sports. It's Joe, Joe. Reed, who we yeah. pay to edit the damn show. <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of Tim Tebow, I mentioned he's he, we have slammed the hammer to him. So on this show, we don't just invite people on. We publicly invite them on as we have seen them express an interest in something, and therefore they are legally obligated to talk about it with us. So, Adam, who in the sports world do you want to slam the hammer to? So since football has ended a while ago now, I've been watching a lot of NBA TV and um, NBA veteran Steve Smith sat down for a lengthy interview with Vince Carter. Um, And I had forgotten this about Vince Carter, but in addition to being an extraordinary athlete, um, basketball and football, Vince was also part of his high school marching band. So he would play in the game and then at halftime be part of the marching band. He didn't really get into... He was uh, the band leader. He was the drum major. He didn't really talk uh, much more about um, his musical interests since then, but I would like to see, um, especially as hip-hop has changed... um, through Vince Carter's, what, 18 years in the league now, I think? Jeez, um, really? Wow. I would like to talk to him about uh, his love of music, um, starting with his high school uh, drum major days and how it's developed over the years. All right, Vince Carter, come on. I tweeted at him on his birthday. I threw up a picture of his uh, him in the drum major outfit. He oh, did not so you're reply. way ahead of me. You've already yeah. thrown down the hand. I always am ahead of you. Okay. Hey, when, when you catch me, what are you going to do? I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Brad Burke, not 6'5", nor 6'8". Yeah, you guys are all tall, and it makes me feel so short. I'm not a short man. Why are you doing this to me? Gareth, uh, who do you want to slam the hammer to this week? First of all, that was my favorite thing. Like, as Adam said, like, they mentioned that he was the drum major in high school, and then they didn't really get into it. I was like, why? You know, that's yeah, what this show way more interesting. In, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, oh, did you do, did you you do any, uh, did you do any like jazz shows too? Like we did? Uh, I don't know. It was an interesting interview because Vince Carter was very thoughtful and had great answers. Steve Smith's questions, not so good. Interesting choice to give that interview to, but as you, they probably had some sort of relationship. We love you, Vince. This is a safe space to talk music. We'll break down my freshman year Les Mis marching band show and we'll compare and contrast who is better. Amen. All right, 
my hammer this week because Burke is going to go deep on Game of Thrones later on in the show. Now, look, you'll hear that I am not the biggest Game of Thrones guy. I'm more of a beat man myself. But we did talk about one moment from Game of Thrones that I, like most people, saw, and that was the mountain. So I'm throwing the sledgehammer down to the mountain himself, half Thor Julius Bjornsson, Icelandic strongman, and he played basketball in Iceland. I mean, he is 6'9 and 400 pounds. Like pro hoops? Uh, no, like Division One college or something. That counts. Like that. That's fine. Sure. Uh, absolutely. And dude, we could definitely get into some strongman stuff. So my hammer. This is a man who deadlifted with a tire or something like a thousand pounds. So anyone who can do that and crush a man's fictional skull with his bare hands can catch the hammer that I'm slamming. So in honor of. Game of Thrones talk. Half Thor Julius Bjornsson, the hammer has been thrown down. There's also a great video I've seen of him sparring with Conor McGregor. Um, I would like to, I'd like to break that down as well. Who won? Or no, they're just sparring. So Connor's just hitting him and the guy's just laughing like it's a fly. Well, I mean, he was moving around a little bit, but you could tell at any moment, similar to his character on Game of Thrones, he was smashing that skull. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of people who've probably smashed their skull one too many times, my hammer goes out to Tony Hawk, who skateboarding legend, (laughs) who I'm sure has had one one many falls in uh, abandoned pools in the greater uh, Los Angeles area during his youth. And and it was during that youth is where I'm going to go with my hammer. So he was on Twitter recently uh, posting videos of he was in the movie Police Academy 4. Really? As just a skate Holy shit. As a skateboarding extra who Luke just Gareth's mine. Yeah, who's just skate well, for Gareth, I didn't say he he you know, he played <laughs> like the Orson Welles character in Citizen. He was Kane. the sound effects guy? <laughs> yeah. Wow. He, yeah. Whoa, he played Bubba Smith. That's crazy. Um so Tony Hawk did uh <laughs> He, he was in the movie. I guess he was just kind of like an extra or a stand-in or something like that. But I would just like to talk to him about breaking that down. I also just like to have Tony Hawk on in general and talk about anything else that he's into. I think he's a fascinating guy. I think he's a legend in not just action sports. I hate, I hate when non-traditional sports athletes get kind of labeled as, oh, he's so important for skateboarding. Tony Hawk's an important athlete in American history. Like, he's just a, an enormous... He was an enormous star... Um, you know, that sport's become hugely mainstream. So I look forward to having him on and asking him zero questions about that and talking about, did he get to meet Tackleberry? <laughs> like, did you get to meet Tackleberry, bro? Let's let's figure well, it out. Interestingly enough, you mentioned Bubba Smith, a, Michigan reti- State. a retired football player who became an actor. Reunite them right here. We're bringing, we're bridging, double hammer? we'll bridge the divide. We'll bring everyone on. That's great. Police Academy special. Uh, Joe? Your favorite police academy? Seven. There were only six. Oh, That's damn. really Man, frustrating you were, that you, you said just, seven. You overshot I was that. So you could have said any. If you had said like I was so four, I'd be like, oh, citizens nine. On, I don't citizens know why. Hey, hey uh, Gareth, great news. Joe saw yeah. Creed. Oh, yeah, I did. It was very oh. good. Yeah, harking back to an earlier episode where Gareth 
Neither Gareth nor Joe had seen any of the Rocky movies. We've made some progress here. We have. Um, we'll get there. We'll get Apollo Creed on to talk about playing for the Raiders. Have too. you seen Creed, Brad? Uh, no. My wife saw it with her father on his birthday, uh-huh. and we don't rewatch movies in my house that she's already seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. okay. just so we're on the same page with that. So, anyway, with uh, enough enough about me and my wife and our movie watching, we've got. Two really great guests this week, Josh Levine from Slate. We had a lot of fun talking to Josh. Uh, so people, for people who don't know the story, I was a, a, a guest caller on the Slate Hang Up and Listen podcast years ago. So I want to say 2010, uh, I, they did a consumer contest, like tell us why you should be on the show. I, I started a Tumblr page for them uh, and they, they had me on. So that was my podcasting debut. Uh, when we started the show, uh, we reached out. I said, hey, Josh, uh, we'd love to return the favor, have you on. I still listen to Hang Up and Listen. Um, he breaks down his his love of ping pong and, and some really unique smack talk that he does. I I, I love that part of the interview. Huh. And then we go really deep with Burke Badenhop. Burke we got set up with because Jonah Carey came on, if you remember that right. show, talking about The Simpsons. And he said, you really got to talk to Burke Badenhop about Game of Thrones. And and he goes deep. Like He was, he was really great. Uh, and definitely uh, do not, if you haven't seen... If you're not caught up, don't sign with a team that A.J. Pruszynski plays for. That's all I'm going to say. By the way, you mentioned Jonah Carey. Jonah, I'm so sorry we missed each other in Austin, but uh, like literally by 20 minutes as I was coming from one party, or as I was exiting the party and he was entering, we missed each other. So, Jonah, we definitely want to talk to you again. And I promise next time we're in the same place at the same time, I'll buy you a drink. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to solve the eternal mystery. Is ping pong hyphenated? Stick around. Joining us on the show right now is Josh Levine. Josh works at the daily online magazine Slate, where he serves as executive editor, and all sports fans know him as the co-host of the popular podcast Hang Up and Listen, where each week Josh debates a diverse collection of sports stories ranging from the NFL to professional handball. But that's his work, and we don't talk about work on this show, so today we're going to talk about something Josh does to get away from the grind, his passion for ping pong. So Josh, thank you for being here. My first question, you know, we, we, we are into hard news on this show. We don't uh, we don't pull punches. You're an editor. Is ping pong hyphenated or not hyphenated? Oh man, I've had such uh, beef with the Slate uh, copy desk on this over the years. Sorry to get this immediately back to work, but <laughs> I would say uh, ping pong lowercase with a hyphen. I feel like at one point the Slate style was. Ping pong, both words capitalized and just a space in between, which I found like incredibly bizarre and terrible. But I would get a lowercase with the hyphen. How often do you play, and how how good of a how good of a player would you say you are? So I've got a table in the garage. We also have a car in the garage, and it's a pain in the ass to move the car. <laughs> so I play a lot less than I did before we had a car. I would play like every day back in the pre-car era, but now I play hardly at all. It's sort of gone in different phases. Like I had a table as a kid and would play all the time. And then there was kind of a fallow period. Um, it's kind of there when I need it to be there. And I'm, I'm in a little bit of a fallow period now, but 
I'd like to get back to it soon. Um, and as far as how good I am, I think that has always been the fascinating thing to me about ping pong is that it's the kind of thing, I think like poker is a similar one where everyone thinks that they're better at it than they really are. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I am good enough to beat anyone who's not good. Like anybody who's says that they're just okay at ping pong, I'll destroy them. If somebody says that they're good, then I could very well destroy them because they overestimate their abilities or they could destroy me because they're being modest. I'm in like the big kind of middle expanse of people who are not professional, but who know how to play. Josh, I like what you said too, about having a table growing up. We had a combination ping pong and pool table, like many uh, middle-class people in the nineties that basically became a large laundry table and ended up being given away for free. But when we did that, <laughs> I was able to learn how to put spin on a serve so that was a you know major moment of growing up. Um, do you find, are you able to find, like, do you seek out tournament play or competitive play, or is this just a strictly recreational activity for you? We used to have a tournament uh, at work back in the day, uh, and so that was always fun and something to look forward to. And then we also got, like, this mini ping pong set that we would put on a conference table that was, you know, literally like tiny paddles and a tiny net. And we would play that every day just as kind of like a afternoon stress relief. It would really annoy everyone in the office just because of how loud it was. Um, like and any good dot-com startup, you had a ping pong table. That's perfect. This was back in the day when Slate was affiliated with uh, the Washington Post newspaper. And we were considered a part of Washington Post Newsweek Interactive. <laughs> and Washington Post Newsweek Interactive in Virginia had a uh, had a ping pong table. Slate, qua Slate, has never had a ping pong table. So I want to disabuse you. Uh. Um, but mostly, yeah, just for mostly just fun, mostly just having people over. Rarely like any kind of formal tournaments or playing with like strangers. It, it happens occasionally, but not often. Josh, what's do you, describe your serve style for us? Do you have, uh, orthodox, unorthodox? <laughs> I rock unorthodox. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I, uh, Bad choice of words. I, uh, I can uh, serve forehand and backhand, and I can serve like with a lot of. I can serve with backspin or topspin, or and I can serve short, and I can serve like a, you know, a hard serve to either side. So I think that's really, it's the same in tennis and I play tennis too. It's, you can be of similar, you know, skill as someone else, but if you have a good serve, then you can probably play a little bit above your level. And so I do think do the skills translate at all. Um, yes. In the sense that if you have good hand-eye coordination, then you'll be good. At both, no, in that um, the actual motion that you use in both sports and similar with ragged sports too, like squash, the sh you know the the shot that you use in squash and like keeping your elbow still. It's like if you try to translate that to other racket sports, you would like kill yourself and or be terrible. Um, so I think the more that you play tennis or ping pong, kind of the worse you can 
you'll get, or it'll just get you a little out of kilter in the other one. Sure. I always found that I would play up or down to my competition, like, like horribly. So if I was playing someone good, I feel like I'd get locked in and be like, yeah, like I'm like, this is a great game. But if I'm playing someone who sucks, suddenly I feel like it's just, it's like a quicksand. Like you're just bogged down. You're missing the net. Do you feel that way? Or is your game stay consistent no matter who you're playing? Uh, I don't think I have, I don't think I have a problem with playing down to the level of competition. I'm totally fine to just like murder somebody if I'm way better than them. <laughs> that, uh, I get a lot of joy out of that. And that probably means I'm a bad person. I do think that I get psyched out. I can get psyched out if I'm playing somebody who, um, I think is good competition or is better than I am. Or if I kind of start to play poorly, then that can kind of build on itself. I would say that that is more my kind of psychological weakness. I don't, I don't have uh, trouble beating up on, on others, but like I play a very offensive minded game. Like I just try to, I slam the ball a lot. And so um, given that if you're not playing well, and you start to go into a more defensive mode as an offensive-minded player, then you're, you're in a bad place. Well, I saw the video of you playing, and, and forgive me if I mispronounce her name, um, Ariel Shing, uh, the table tennis uh, phenom, yeah. uh, the teenage player uh, for the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it's like to play against the pros? Because I think people see how good they are, and they kind of marvel at, oh, wow, seeing a pro play just looks like a different sport. But once you actually play against them, what is that like? <laughs> so I went to Chicago. She was doing, I, I forget the name of the company that she was promoting. So I'm totally subverting their efforts to <laughs> do uh, viral marketing by, by my coming to play against her. But she was there and people were lining up to play against her. And I played two games to 11 against Ariel, who's like the best U.S woman player of maybe a generation and she did actually kind of pretty well in the Olympics by us standards. I think she made it to the final 32 or something. Yeah. Anyway, she's awesome and very nice. And she beat me 11, zero, 11, one. Um, and I actually showed up with the paddle that I use at home or that I did use at home back then. And it's like an incredibly shitty paddle. It's like going to like play, like to try to hit off of, um, you know, Pedro Martinez with a wiffle ball bat or something. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like in ping pong, we all just have this sense, I think, or maybe it's, I don't think it's just me that you can just like, you know, we would never think we could get a hit off of Pedro or Matt Harvey or whatever. We never think that we could outrun like an Olympic sprint or something, but just having played ping pong my whole life, I'm like, I could totally like get five points off this, uh, off this lady. Like, uh, you know, who does she think she is? So I just show up and I have like, no, I have no clue what, what I'm doing. And it's all about spin. Um, you have to be able to read spin. It's like a very kind of thinking person's game, I guess, at that level. You obviously have to have great skill and great hand-eye coordination, but you have to like read the way that the ball is coming towards you and you have to hit the appropriate counter shot. You have to, you know, spin it back to counteract the spin that they're using. And that's just like a level beyond. And especially in that situation where you're like, 
you know, that uh, putting pressure on yourself to try to do well. It was just like my head was spinning. I had no chance. Are you a ping pong um, purist? And by that, I mean, if I came to your house, could we put out some red solo cups and play a game of beer pong <laughs> or is the ping pong table strictly for ping pong? My table is strictly for ping pong. I, uh, I would begrudge you that I don't want to get, I don't want to get your uh, natty light on my table. You can take that. You can take that down the street. You can take that next, next door to like the 20 something, uh, people who just graduated from college and sound like they are having just, uh, such events on an almost nightly basis. I would be happy to point you in their direction. Josh, what if I covered it in plastic? Yeah. Josh, we can't afford Natty Light on this uh, show. <laughs> you know what? If you covered it in plastic, then I would say just to get the hell out of my house. No, I, uh, <laughs> All right. Fair enough. That's not really, that's not really my game. You have to talk to your next guest about that. You should have a beer pong episode though. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Lots of people idea, in the sports actually. world would be amenable to talking beer pong. Josh, you said you're not afraid to destroy someone. Do you talk trash when you play, or are you like a quiet assassin? Uh, you know, one thing that I do that uh, my girlfriend thinks is annoying slash hilarious is that when I hit a good shot, I compliment myself because <laughs> if I don't, then who's going to? What do you say? Like sometimes I was like, that's wow. Great shot. You know, just keep it simple. <laughs> but I want to, I just want to, you know, affirm that I'm doing, I'm doing what I want to do out there. So that, that kind of positive self-talk is really important. That's what uh, any sports psychologist will tell you. I love that. And plus the other person just finds it a little annoying. And I find that funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we have some questions here, Josh, that we have to get through, and I'll just throw them at you. But, like, my parents' ping pong table has very specific house rules, so I want to go through these kind of rapid fire here. Are you an overhand or regular grip? Uh, I'm a regular grip, I would say, yeah. Okay. How do you, in your house, decide who serves first? Usually the P-I-N-G method. Now, that's interesting because in my uh, parents' house, we've always done P-O-N-G or Pong as it spells. Um, I like that. In my house, we would put a paddle on, lay it on the table on the edge and throw the ball at it. And if you hit it on the fly, you'd get it. Do you think that's acceptable or just like a total perversion of how to get served? <laughs> I have, this is one uh, area where I'm, I'm like actually kind of a stickler for the rules. Like, I don't know if you're going to get to this, but one thing that really annoys me, and I'm never sure whether to mention it or not, um, because I don't want to like come off like a jerk or like a, you know, uh, like I'm stuck up or something, but I like really don't like it when people, yeah, I really don't like it when people hit the ball out of their hand on the serve without tossing it in the mm. air because that's super illegal. But I just don't want to sound like an, an ass. Anyway, yeah, throw the throw the ball at the paddle. That sounds good. The way that I think, uh, like, that people who I've played with who, like, take it more seriously, the way that they do it, which is odd because it's, like, kind of, like, not a serious way to do it, is, like, put the ball behind their back, and then you, like, guess which hand it's in. Oh. 
Huh. Yeah, I don't like, like that at all. Year old <laughs> I had like a visceral reaction to that. But I, I was think just that's like, like what? how they do it in like ping pong clubs and stuff. Wow. Really? Okay. Well, good okay, to know. Okay, a couple more. When you do, when you play, how do you divide up the serve? Is it every every two points, every five? What's your approach? Um, playing to 11, then it's every two. Playing to 21, then it's five. I did not know that. All right. Well, the other and thing that I hate is that... pay for 11 or 21, so... Um, I usually play 21 unless it's like a group of people, and then 11. The other thing that I really find annoying that a lot of people insist on is that if it's game point and the person who's behind serves, like, what, what's that? I hate that. Always win by two? Always win by two, naturally, but... No, like, loser serve or sucker serve or whatever that's called. Hate that. Got it. Got it. Is that, All right, <laughs> those are the rules of play in the, the Levine house. Is the, is the loser serve, is the sucker serve, is that, like, if it's game point, the other, like, the person down has to serve? Right, yeah, okay. I hate that. It's stupid. Yeah, I don't like that either. I, it's <laughs> like at the end of, a, at the end of like, a, uh, you know, like the end of a basketball game, like if the team's losing, just always gets to keep the ball. It makes no sense. <laughs> if Adam Silver's we fought, listening, we fought uh, hard to get here to get to this point. Yeah, right. I totally agree. Well, hey, Josh, you've given us a ton of time. We're gonna um, to take us out. We do this thing, so we we really hate how athletes have to go through those annoying aptitude tests, like the wonder the wonder lick. So on the Just Not Sports podcast, we have our own the wonder like, which is five questions about. The thing you like. So in this case, five questions about ping pong. Adam's going to ask you the questions. I'm going to say right now, I think you're a four for five guy. That's my prediction. Okay. These are tough, too. I, I, these are challenging this week. All right. Well, let's see. Let's go for it. Adam, go ahead. Number one, Josh. Susan Sarandon owns a ping pong club called Spin. What letter in spin is not capitalized? Uh, the T. The I. Oh. That's I can't rough. figure out they just why. Had, like, some, uh, event. They just had some event there uh, uh, for Slate in New York, which I was unable to attend. So, uh, this is Do you know just, what uh, her connection to ping pong is? Yeah, she was dating like the dude who owned it or founded it. Oh, got it. Yeah, I can't so figure I out why. All right, one for one. Yeah, sure. we'll I'll take it. Half, we'll give you half a point. <laughs> yeah, back. half a point for that one. You don't even know. If, you don't even know if that's true, and I'm just giving myself that. <laughs> well, we figure we we want to believe that we have a good relationship with you, and that you wouldn't dare lie on our airwaves. Um, Besides, right. it's just about right. as is. This is just as good a test of aptitude as the actual wonderlick. So we'll just give yes. out points for anything. All right, question two. Uh, and we'll see okay. if you're first-round ping-pong draft pick. In the March World Rankings of the International Table Tennis Federation, how many of the top five men's players are from China? Ooh, I'll go four. Four is correct. Yeah, that is good. Good for me. Great shot, Josh. Great shot. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely played. Nicely played there. Uh, question, question number three. In what year was table tennis added to the Olympics? Um, 
I could just think about this for a while, even though I have no idea and just waste everyone's time. I'm going to say 1948. 1988 is the answer in Seoul. Oh, it's way later I'm than learning. I thought. I'm learning a lot. Way later than I thought. Yeah, I, I, me too. Yeah, me too. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, two more. Uh, R RPB st RPB stands for what popular ping pong paddle grip? Oh. Jesus. <laughs> reverse pen, reverse pen, something. You're close. Yes, reverse, reverse pen hold and uh, reverse pen bump bumping. Reverse pen hold reverse backhand. Reverse pen hold backhand. Yep. Reverse pen hold backhand. Okay. Close. And finally, question number five. In the movie Forrest Gump, a ping pong company sold paddles with Forrest's picture on one. And who on the other? Wow. I'm like more of a one for five guy, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Richard Nixon? Oh. Pardon my pronunciation. Mao Zedong? Yes. Oh, I was, Chairman I, I was Mao. Close. Chairman Mao, after the trip to China. Chairman Mao. Well, pretty good. And we'll give you, we'll give you partial a, credit. This was a great learning experience for all of us. This was a great learning experience for all of us. I think that's the important thing. <laughs> well, Josh, we're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. We're huge fans of the show. Um, Slate's hang up and listen, and they should follow you on Twitter at Josh underscore Levine. So, Josh, thank you so much for joining, um, and we will look forward to your next podcast next week. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. A few weeks back, if you remember, we had on the great baseball writer Jonah Carey. And Jonah said, you have to talk Game of Thrones with Burke Badenhop. So we are men of our word, and so is Burke, and here we are. Burke is a veteran major league pitcher who is currently with the Washington Nationals embroiled in spring training. He's also a big Game of Thrones fan, as Jonah let us know. So today we're going to leave Washington behind for a minute and go right into Westeros to do a deep dive onto the show. So, Burke, thank you for joining. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. This will, this will be good. But the first question I always ask people when they talk about Game of Thrones is, who are you rooting for? <laughs> um, who am I rooting for? Let's see. I'd, I'd say I'm rooting for, uh, for Daenerys. I don't know why. Really? But... Uh, yeah, I don't know why, but I'm kind of rooting for her. And uh, granted, because there's so much to root for, she doesn't, you know, she's had such little uh, progress. But I think there's a lot to root for. And uh, of anybody in the show, she's uh, got maybe the purest of hearts. So I, I'd say I'd root for the Targaryen. It it is interesting. I mean, I think her character has always been super sympathetic. Um, I was a big fan. I got hooked in season one, like most people just in the first few episodes, just kind of thinking, wow, this is a little bit different. I, it's, and we'll get into a little bit more about the appeal of the show later, but I've always been rooting for Tyrion myself. I, I don't know why I really enjoyed the whole section where he was sort of administering the city, um, as the, as the hand. And I always felt bad that that kind of got derailed like it did. Adam, are you, do, are you rooting for anyone in particular? Arya Stark. 
You're rooting for Arya? Mm-hmm. Well, she's certainly sympathetic these days. I mean, I think she, I think she is the chosen one, and I think the show is going to prove that. That's a hot take, Burke. Do you have any thoughts on on Arya being the chosen one? Um, I'm out on Arya. Uh, <laughs> I was just, uh, I, I, I think her her stuff's pretty neat. You know, once she left the Hound, though, it was kind of. You know, who knows? There's a lot of people I'm out on, though. Um, I would say I'm definitely in on Tyrion. Uh, Tyrion would probably be a close second for me. Um, I'm definitely in on the White Walkers. Uh, I'm also in on Bran. I think Bran might be um, maybe kind of what you think as far as Arya. He might be the chosen one. And, um, you know, but everybody also loves a, a, a dead, undead Jon Snow at the same point. I'm out on Jon Snow. I- I find him to be this blank slate character that I was with for a while. I was actually far more into Rob Stark when he was kind of marching down and proving to be, you know, the the, the great general. I have not read the books, um, so I, I, I don't see the twists and turns coming except for, you know, when I don't get around to my DVR and my podcast and Twitter feed kind of ruins the show. But I was always into Rob Stark, and, yeah. and I, I really liked that whole storyline until it kind of went south with the Red Wedding. That that's it, Burke. Before we go any further, did you read the books? Has the sh- uh, went south with the Red Wedding? My yeah. greatest understatement. slight hiccup with the Red Wedding, and <laughs> yeah, kind of went south. Is, uh, that's an under, understate, understatement of, uh, of the millennium. Um, I have I have not read the books. Um, probably my. Um, my background with it, I um, I'm always a big Grantland fan. You know, Jonah wrote for Grantland, and I would check in. I bet anything I know past the the TV series, I've learned from probably uh, the Ask the Maester. You know, post uh, episode kind of recaps and precaps that would have a ton of links to kind of the the Wikipedia, the Fire and Ice. You know, Wikipedia. I've not read the books. Um, my teammate in 2014 aj Przinski had read the books and threatened to ruin every like every sunday oh. evening threatened to ruin the whole what? series for me and yeah so uh but he did not uh, he was uh and now now that we've caught up you know uh, with uh, the books so i've thought about starting the books but then i'm like eh, i don't got that much time this, man this, you yeah. know so has has your interest in the show burke led you to other sort of fantasy stuff of this, of this type? Um, I would say no. Uh, I'm not a huge, like I do like Lord of the Rings. I like Star Wars, you know, and things like that. Not, not like I'm not a, a fanboy or anything, um, you know, but I would say the reason I gravitate towards Game of Thrones is because it's just got a little bit of everything sprinkled in, you know, like the, the fantasy nature of it isn't, you know, Star Wars is a hundred percent the whole universe and everything exists in kind of, you know, in outer space and whatever, but that's not how it works for Game of Thrones. Really it's more like a medieval tale with a little bit of X sprinkled in, with a little bit of Y sprinkled in, and oh by the way, uh there's these White Walker things that are constantly being referred to. Um, you know, and so people think it's all about dragons and whatever, and so that's that's um not necessarily the case, but uh, no, it hasn't let me down too many, you know, other things. Um, I'm not like a World of Warcraft or, or anything like that, but I, I, I can geek out for some Game of Thrones. 
Uh, I'd like to talk about the Lannisters for a minute. Um, how how much more Burke do you love Jamie Lannister now that he has a metal hand? Go. How much do I love him more? Is it um, any more, is it, is it any more endearing to you? Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I'd say he's more endearing. Um, with uh, who is? I, I see we're we're too far from the last time I watched an episode when he uh, went down to Dorne and tried to steal back his sister with Tyrion's uh, brain. Man, I can't think of his name. I loved that. You know, where kind of he was. Uh, doing that type of stuff. But yeah, the hand thing, ah, it's kind of weird, man. There's no way you can be running around with a big metal hand and, and co- hand-to-hand combat, combat, you know. I guess it just proves that he's one heck of a swordsman. Well, I always like that storyline, though, that he's, you know, he gets captured, he's humiliated. You know, there's always been the whispers about his relationship with his sister. He's been degraded. And then he, that whole, that whole stretch where he's getting back to, um, King's Landing is, is it shows a humanity in him that I think has been part of the appeal of the show. For every time that somebody seems really good, then they do something really terrible. For every time somebody does something terrible, they do something good. There's always twists and turns with the characters. That that brings me to a larger point. Burke, we we're talking about fantasy and where Game of Thrones fits in the spectrum. I would argue that other than the dragons and some mysticism showing up as window dressing, it's a political drama that's much closer to the West Wing than it is to Lord of the Rings. Do do you see it in that terms, in those terms, Burke, as more of a drama, or do you see it as pure fantasy? And maybe I'm overreaching for the dramatic, you know, flair of it all. No, I think it'd be absolutely that. I mean, it's a bunch of uh, you know Hatfields and McCoys when you really break it down, because it's you know all these different families, and they're all. You know, it's, I mean, you look at George R. R. Martin and how he's kind of written these things. A lot of it links up to, you know, history and, um, you know, how certain families kind of linked to certain families in the past. You know, the, the Dothraki are supposedly kind of like, you know, the Mongols of, you know, a long, long time ago. So it's kind of, he's, you know, woven this web that kind of it's fantasy with history. And like you said, it's, it's got a lot of drama and how things play off of each other. And then it's kind of like when they need to make something really happen, they're like, yeah, we'll throw a dragon in here. Or we'll throw, <laughs> you know, it's a mystical tree in here to make things, you know, to, to make things uh, make sense. But at the same point, that's no different than our world. You know, there's things that happen in our world that I can't explain, you know, why it rains and then evaporates and trees grow and stuff. I could, you know, I, I could kind of have to explain it to you, but, when it gets down to it, it's pretty cool stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'd agree with what you said with, uh, it's, it's really, you know, there's familial relationship. There is, uh, you know, there's tons of backstabbing. There's, you know, it's a dog eat dog world basically there and, and kind of who's going to survive and who's going to, uh, conquer and search power, you know, like you said, like I'm sure the West wing is trying to, it's a, just a big power grab. I'd almost say it's equal parts. Um, primetime soap opera like a dynasty because there are characters like Cersei Lannister and um, Peter Baelish who you love to hate they're clearly designed to um, strike anger with to stir up anger within you uh, and those characters do it for me uh, Burke who does that most for you on the show is there a villain that really stands out as someone you can't wait to see week to week um, 
I would say well, I'm going to go with the the villain I the most probably would be the White Walkers. I mean, that's a little bit of a different scenario just because you never get a glimpse glimpse of them, really. And then, um, you know, this past uh, season with the, the battle at Hardhome and they showed them kind of at length. Man, that was awesome for me. Like to, to see that exchange and everything. And first of all, that was an awesome episode. But to see them and just, you know, the fear that they put in everybody, you know, even I, I think I rewatched episode one with because somebody wanted to watch it from the beginning or something. And just that first scene, you know, where it all goes down to. And that's kind of what I, I like to hopefully that we're getting to that plot line this week. You know, Cersei's great too. Uh, I did. Peter Baelish is a guy for me. As soon as he's on on screen, I'm like, you know, I do I do love to hate him because I'm like, get this guy off. Like he's always he's always doing something or whatever, and he's you know got all these backhanded things. But uh, he seems to be at the bottom of a lot of things too. So maybe I should actually pay more attention when he's on the screen. The, there are some storylines I still can't wrap my head around. Like the Lord of Light is one. So when it was first introduced, you thought of it as like this cult fanaticism that showed how Melisandre and, you know, her followers were just crazy and evil and weird. But it's been shown responsible to um, resurrect the dead, to have, you know, you know, she can apparently sort of, you know, birth out demon demons that can kill, you know, rival kings, which it's more like, hey, why don't you just do that every day? Like, war over. But I digress. That's, I'm I just mean, curious. Like, childbirth takes a yeah, while. Like, right, I don't know yeah, if you know just, how childbirth works, yeah, Brad. Well, Burke, how do you process the whole? What's going on with the Lord of Light? Do you do? You, where do you fall in the camp? Do you, do you, do you find it to be, wow, this is intriguing and it's going to have a deeper meaning, or do you see it as like kind of a, a cultish diversion that may end up being kind of a big MacGuffin that goes nowhere? That's a good question. Um, I would take kind of what I've learned from anything I read from the Grantland stuff, where the books are so in depth from what I understand and that uh, George R. R. Martin goes so in depth with, with everything, with describing how the characters look and the, the settings and everything that you can't go that in depth in the TV show because you've only got, you know, an hour per episode. So if it's on the TV show, I would say there's a pretty good chance it's important stuff. Um, at the same point, like what happened to the brotherhood of the without banners, you know, like those guys <laughs> right. haven't been seen of or, or heard from in like two seasons. It's like, wait a second, this guy like comes back to life. Like that's a pretty big deal, man. And so it makes you think maybe these guys are kind of coming back. Um, I'll have to admit the, you know, the Stannis, you know, sacrificing his daughter last year is really tough to swallow. and makes you kind of wonder, what these people are doing, I guess, but, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. The, uh, I did appreciate the link you sent me on, on that email with, uh, Melisandre goes to a baby shower. That was, uh, yeah, the Seth Meyers, that was so. rather funny, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, it, it makes you think so. Like if something, for instance, you know, Jon Snow, if you think about it, Jon Snow shouldn't be a main character. Jon Snow is supposedly, you know, the bastard son and Ned Stark and, he goes to, you know, the wall and blah, 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 blah. And like you said, Rob should be the big, the big uh, star of this whole thing. But they focus a lot on Jon Snow. And you know why? Because I'm guessing Jon Snow is a pretty doggone important character. Right. You know, and you can, you can get into those theories if you want to. But if, if it's on the TV show, it's probably because it's important or has some kind of, you know, something further down the road. I doubt they're throwing too many curveballs just because 
you couldn't get to the important stuff if you were doing that as well. And we haven't heard much from Gareth on this one. He's admittedly doesn't watch much Game of Thrones, but Gareth, feel free to jump in here because we're really going to break down a fan theory right now about the purpose of the show. If my wife was here, she would jump right in with you. My experience with Game of Thrones is mostly waiting for it to end so I can watch Veep. So I'm going to lay out and let you guys keep on going. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Yeah, right. So, all right. So, Gareth, you can go back on mute. Burke, let's talk about the bloodline theory that, that, that supposes that the Targaryen dynasty really kind of boils down to three people. It's Tyrion, it's Daenerys, and it's Jon Snow. Are all are they siblings? Are they half siblings? And they are going to come together and they're going to rule Westeros as one. That's the theory, correct? That's one of the yeah. theories. Yeah. One of the big theories, and yeah. that's the one that George R. R. Martin, if I if I remember this correctly, has sort of not disavowed in a meaningful way. Like it, he's made it seem a little bit mm-hmm. like, yeah, you kind of kind of got me, and I almost wonder whether that has stalled the writing of the new book, which has become a huge controversy over how much Deadspin's been killing him on it. Like how much does he actually have written all this other stuff? I don't know, but I almost wonder, like they always talk about our fan theories and fan service. Does that actually do do a disservice to the, the creators because they have to kind of wrestle with their, you know, with themselves. Oh, do I want to go down a path that may have been quote spoiled by just lucky speculation? I don't know. And the pressure, I mean, you're still in the business of selling books. Right. So giving right. fans what they want versus you, you, what you, what's been in your head for a long time is a, certainly a, a difficult pressure to deal with. So, Burke, do you, do you subscribe to that theory or do you think it's BS? I would. And it would make, it makes too much sense on so many levels. Uh, just because if uh, they kind of have outed that already, you would think like, uh, let me try to switch things up a little bit here in this next book to at least not be a hundred percent. Right. But it also kind of gets back to the point. I, uh, kind of just touched on with, you know, in the first episode there and correct me if I'm saying it's Lyanna Stark is Ned Stark's deceased sister. Is that correct? Yes. I think. Okay. Cause they show her, you know, tomb in the catacombs there at, at Winterfell and they kind of bring her up a decent amount, you know, and she's the one that supposedly is the link between Jon Snow and, uh, Rhaegar Targaryen, you know, and all that. And so if she wasn't remotely important at some point, why even mention her? But they kind of always bring her up and it would lead you to believe that, you know, whether Tyrion is in this mix, I don't know. There's three dragons though. It seems to make a lot of sense, but at the same point, it's kind of like Bran still sitting under a tree somewhere way (laughs) north of the wall. Who knows, you know, how that factors into anything, you know? Yeah. And there's some, 10-year-old kid that's probably 10,000 years old that can fight off skeletons throwing silverware all at, you know, and fireballs and whatever. So who knows how that can kind of factor in, but it it's interesting because it's kind of picking up steam towards that direction. Once Daenerys finally jumped on the back of a stinking dragon, you, you kind of wonder, but you know, who, who knows? I would, I would be, I would be more surprised if that wasn't the case. Yeah, I I tend to think that they've they've really alluded to the fact that you know, it was Tywin Lannister said he couldn't prove that Tyrion wasn't his son, 
but he always suspected it. So you know that there's a question about whether he's beyond the physical appearance, whether he is part of the of the Lannister clan. That clearly, Jon Snow. There's a you know the bastard right. son. A lot of people like you go back to Ned Stark in season one, and and all this hesitancy about who was this other woman, and and it really does make sense if they were to do a flashback, you would say, yeah, sure, like he was cover. He, it's not his baby. He was covering up for it. It strained his marriage, but he did. He did an honorable thing in that in that way by pretending to have done a dishonorable one. And then Daenerys, I mean, she's just a whole other ball of wax. I, I, I'm with you. I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I wonder whether they will, if it is true, whether they will just continue with it. Or the books have already said, or the movie, or excuse me, the uh, TV producers have already said they're going to go their own way and they write the best show. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just going to rip that up and be like, forget it. George R.R. R. Martin can do whatever he wants in 2055 when he publishes this last book. Mm. Let's just like, you know, let's make Bran run the whole thing from a hoverboard. <laughs> Suggestion noted, producers. <laughs> I, I, I like that. <laughs> Look, what? What? What's? Uh, can you get a Vegas odds on if that's the way t- things turn out? Because I bet I bet you'd make a lot of money on that bet. I, yeah. I, <laughs> if it, if it is hoverboards, I'm gonna get a, a like a royalty in the mail. <laughs> Burke, what's your favorite death? What's your favorite death uh, on the show? Um, either unexpected or just plain gory and fun. Um, let's see here. My favorite death. Uh, I'd say I'll, I'll go back to, uh, the battle at Hardhome, um, with Jon Snow, you know, scrambling against the white walkers. Uh, I guess you would say it'd be, you know, whoever, not the head guy, uh, but like kind of the Lieutenant guy. And, and you, you never get a good, the scene was just awesome. And that guy kind of jumps through that hut and Jon Snow stops him with his, you know, Valerian steel sword. And there's literally, you know, like a, you're waiting for Jon Snow to just get ripped to shreds. And there's a two second like pause when he's, you know, holds the guy's sword. And the guy has this, you know, oops, I crap my pants moment. You know, the White Walker does. And Jon Snow realizes what he does. And then the, the I'm watching and I realize what just happened. And he kind of like does a swift turn around and this guy shatters into ice. And that was probably the coolest. That was, that's probably my favorite part of, uh, any, any episode. Uh, that, that kill was, was pretty cool for me. Uh, I have to go with King Joffrey. Oh, really? Come on. Yeah. It's a character who I prayed every episode that he would die. And when he finally did, it was as satisfying as I had hoped for. I did. Everyone did want Joffrey to die. I would have wanted to been, something a little more satisfactory than eating pie. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. All right, fair I agree enough. with that. Uh, the seminal death to me still is Ned Stark. Cause I think a lot of people who were introduced to the show as an HBO drama who had no idea who the, what the books were, were like, Whoa, they just killed like the lead character. And it kind of set the tone for nothing is off limits, which the show has really carried on. My favorite death is, um, the duel uh, over Tyrion last year. I'm going to forget that it's the mountain is the, is, yeah. is the, the bad guy. And then I forget the name of the guy who was fighting him. Um, um, you, Oh, no, you're, uh, it's like, even narco. he's the, not quite, not quite, uh, not quite a Nego Montoya from, uh, <laughs> from princess bride, but it's pretty yeah. much the same storyline. Prince Oberyn. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Man, we're, yeah, Prince Oberyn from from Dorne. Yeah, with his uh, his viper swords and everything. 
that was a pretty good one. But you could could you see that coming? I mean, he was a little too nonchalant. You did with dealing with like a four hundred fifty pound, six foot eight man. So I'm so Gareth. You have not seen this. We're going to break this down for you. So it's a duel between like a dude who looks like Andre the Giant, but like if Andre the Giant was in shape, and he's fighting this kind of wily swordsman. And the swordsman has all the right in the world to kill this guy. He had raped his sister. He had killed his family. And he's talking trash. He's beating him up and he's talking trash to the big guy. And you, yeah, you kind of know, like, uh oh, uh oh, he's dragging it out. But then, so I knew it was coming. But oh my God, when he just kind of grabs his head and just says, I did rape your sister. And then I gouged out her eyes like this. And then I popped her head like this and just explodes the guy's head with his bare hands. My wife and I were just like, whoa, <laughs> great Game of Thrones is crazy. You're right. I take back King Joffrey. Yeah. I, I will find, I'll get on that bandwagon. Like People were posting videos on YouTube that were like bars being like, oh, my God, because the people who read the book knew it was coming. And the people who didn't were like, what? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I have seen all this stuff because I've seen a gif in the last three years, like Red Wedding. <laughs> That like all like the show is so popular at this point that anything that happens on it is a cultural touchstone. And I understand that. And my wife and I like to joke. I watch Game of Thrones as a radio drama. I'm usually like we put our kids to bed. I'm, I'm literally sitting in the living room, probably doing work, you know, for whatever's coming up that week, listening to it in the background while she freaks out. And then she goes to bed and I watch Veep and now Silicon Valley. And then stay up a little while longer. So hey. I, ha- I am I am familiar with that. That is crazy. That Thank, one was awesome. Thanks for the Silicon Valley plug. Stop talking yeah. about other shows yeah. that Can aren't, that for aren't Game of episode. Thrones on This isn't about your TV interest. We're talking to Burke. Yeah. Uh, so, so Burke, when, when Veep comes back this year, what are you looking for <laughs> with the president? You know? Go back on mute. Veep, right. is on, Veep is on my to-do list, I guess. Well, I just like the "Oops, I crapped my pants" old school SNL reference that dropped a little bit ago, and hey, I left hey, 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 There hey, you hey. go. Good yeah, and Burke, actually, when, earlier when you were talking about in our world, um, you know, there are things we don't understand, like evaporation. I don't know if you remember this. It, it reminded me so much of that insane clown posse video where all of a sudden they just break in. They're like, and magnets. How do they work? <laughs> Did you have you ever heard of that? <laughs> um. I'm not a big uh, ICP fan, but yeah, I think I know it. You're not yeah. a Juggaloo? I think I know what you're talking about. Well, yeah. there goes the Mag- second Mag- half of the episode. <laughs> I believe it's pronounced Juggalo. Juggalo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Burke, you're gonna have to Google yeah. that. It's a, a Google that Google magnets. How do they work? It's a, it's a very very strong three minutes on YouTube. If you can uh, if you can sit through it. So, um, Burke, if we uh, right after Veep, I'll check that out. <laughs> Burke, we are uh, very connected people, and when I say we, I mean Gareth works in television. If we could somehow figure out how to get you a cameo on Game of Thrones, what house do you want to be part of, and how does your character figure into the plot? Yeah, who, um, who would you kill, and how? Yeah. Well, wait. Who would Let's I kill? Go. I I got. I'm like I'm pretty tall and lanky. I got a good feeling I would be killed. Um, but what house I would want to go, go for, Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, keep me away from Ramsey Bolton. So, you know, any of the, uh, anywhere near the iron islands or whatever, I'm probably out. I'd, um, that's a, that's a tough question, man. I think I'd want to roll with, with, uh, 
in, in uh, Daenerys' crew, you know? She's pretty far away. She kind of knows what's going on. She got some dragons, some cool stuff. Uh, she's a little, a little safer bet, I think, uh, than than anybody else. I, I mean, she doesn't even get naked there's anymore. Not as much. I, you'd want to say, yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd want to say Starks, but there's not many Starks uh, running around anymore. So, yeah, and who wants like seven years of you know winter up there in uh, <laughs> that part of the world? I, I would. There- I'll say I'll, 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 I'll band of brothers. I want to be one of the band of brothers or, or the band without borders or whatever it is. Yeah. I'll bring that storyline back. I'll, I'll jump into that crew. Yeah. You know, you mentioned how that storyline just disappeared. I was listening to a podcast actually, and, and earlier mentioned the Grantland podcast or Grantland writing. They also had a podcast called watch the Thrones hosted by Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, which was, which very good. I hope they actually bring that back on Bill Simmons, new podcast network. Um, they, they would always break down things like, all of a sudden, there would be a character who's back after two seasons who was a minor character, but now he's with like the Lord of Light clan. Also, he's being played by a different actor. <laughs> and the, if you're a casual fan of the show, this is incredibly hard to jump in and out of. But I almost feel like that's been helped by the fact that it is, as Gareth mentioned, an online conversation that's going on all the time. Like I, we moved last year. I, um, while we were looking for a house, I lived with um, my in-laws for a couple months. After we sold our condo, they didn't have HBO, but I still kept up with the show just by reading about it. So, Burke, for you, how much of the kind of analysis that happens around the show is important to your watching experience, um, uh, you know, as a fan of the show? I would say super important. Um, I think after the first season I watched, maybe going into the second, I've I found like they've got um, all the content kind of, I don't know if it's on HBO go or where it is, or if it's on like HBO website where it's got all the maps and then it's got all like the lineages and all the houses and everything. And like, I literally needed that like cheat sheet. And then I kind of could figure out what was next to where, and you know, where was uh, this located and, Wait, who was like you said? Like they kind of throw a person up there, and you're like, I can't remember who that is for life of me. And you're like, Oh, well, that's because that's so and so, so and so servant boy. That you know that falls under this house. And once right. I finally kind of got that, you know, things really picked up for me. And then throw in the, um, you know, the Game of Thrones stuff that was on, on Grantland, and it got me even, even more hooked. And because there's so much stuff out there with, uh, you know theories and you know going on the you know a wiki of fire and ice and all that stuff and kind of uh who all these you know who were the first men and who you know all these things and there's there's so much stuff you can deep dive it's it's an abyss of deep diving i guess but that that's what makes it kind of fun because it's really it's 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 you know it's world building it's it's creating its own universe and and all that stuff is is a part of it so can i ask a question then is somebody who admittedly is does it not really Veep? watch the show, but it is a cult. No, <laughs> this is not about Veep. Okay, just checking. Um, uh, it, it's someone who doesn't, admittedly doesn't watch the show, but has, you become aware of it because of the cultural phenomenon that it is. And I like I watched the, the end of the White Walker episode because my wife said, hey, come watch this. And that was one of the best, frankly, action sequences I've seen ever but is there 
are there locker room politics around spoilers? Like, can you talk about things? Do other guys duck away? Like, how does that intersect with your workplace? Because I know that around my water cooler, Thrones is huge. So how does it work around the baseball water cooler? Um, I would say it doesn't as much. Uh, if you've got, let's say, you know, you got 25 guys on a team, I would bet three watch Game of Thrones, maybe four. So it's not, you're not really, you know, AJ Brzezinski was the one guy I ran into that had gone ahead and would, you know, spoil things. I would say more of my, you know, regular friends back home watch it than more of my, my teammates. But I'm also a big, uh, my teammates are probably more video games, you know, listening to music type guys where I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, I'm a binge watch TV show guy for sure. And, you know, that's, I don't know, maybe you get some Breaking Bad spoilers in there because everybody watches Breaking Bad type stuff. But yeah, not too many people are like ruining ruining TV shows for folks. I got about it. Girls. Yeah, how about the show <laughs> Girls? Yeah, that's right. Um, I just, I got to think that's going to change. As, as, as mobile becomes more ubiquitous and HBO Go and that kind of stuff, it's all kind of app-based and phone-based. I got to think that professional athletes are going to gravitate more and more to digital content. We had Natalie Gulbis on. She's an LPGA golfer. She mentioned that she's got like 138 or something series on her um, iPad at any one time because she's on the road every single week. So I don't know. Time will tell. That's my hot take. I'm going to bet that that number goes from three to seven next year. (laughs) Take that Vegas. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Three three to seven might be uh, pretty good. I, I think the fantasy nature of it might turn uh, guys off a little bit. Guys do watch a lot of TV shows. Guys tend to come to me if they're like, Hey, I need a new TV show to watch. What should I watch type of thing? But um, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, the, you know, not as many guys had watched lost same kind of deal. Uh, people are more into, I guess like action stuff or, or uh, things like that. The fantasy stuff doesn't uh, lean as much towards pro athletes, I would think. And I, and I would uh, echo the sentiment of what you said, Natalie Goldbiss. Like I've got stuff like crazy. I'll be watching two or three episodes of, of things, you know, I'll have a comedy going, a drama going and, and stuff like that. And um, that's what I'm constantly doing while I'm traveling. Give us real quick. Give us one. Yeah, rec- I recommend Veep if you're looking for a comedy. <laughs> I really love that. Give us, <laughs> Bert, give us one, give us one show that you're watching that you don't think a lot of people are that we should be checking out. Um, uh, I watched this one last year. Um, I'll give you two. I'll give you two recommendations. Um, oh, this is tough. I'm gonna give you three recommendations. They're all Netflix. Uh, Narcos is great. Mm-hmm. I would say that would be for a drama. I love Narcos. That's kind of a uh, hour long. I've got to see what happens next, kind of thing. And then um, I'll go a little bit off the beaten path with uh, Portlandia. Oh, I yes. love Portlandia. Big favorite of mine. That's yeah, yeah. And that's kind. Of, and that's kind of um, that's a little. I live in Brooklyn. Lighter. I don't need to watch Portlandia. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, <laughs> that's a little lighter. It's you know thirty minutes, kind of a throwaway episode, kind of thing, kind of light. Yeah. And then a thing that I really got into last year, which. Uh, Definitely, my teammates is one I can't recommend to them. Would be uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, I was a yeah. big fan of that show. Yeah. I loved. Uh, I loved 
the first episode was a little rough, honestly, but then after I got through it, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I think Ellie Kemper is really funny, and I would really recommend um, those those three shows to anybody. The Battlestar Galactica uh, sketch in Portlandia is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. And if you watched Battlestar Galactica, you totally understand. It's just it's it's the, it's an amazing sort of rumination on um, uh, binge watching. Love it. All right, so Bert- yeah, it's, it's a lose your job. Over the weekend kind of show, right? Yeah, or lose your job because you're hosting a podcast talking about Game of Thrones instead of doing our work like we like we should probably what do. Be you doing? Mean? I've been multitasking yeah, this whole right. time. So, Burke, um, we usually end the show by talking to. Right. We know that the athletes we talk to have to go through all sorts of you know rigorous aptitude, aptitude tests throughout their various points of their career, which we find mostly bogus, like the Wonderlick. We always give uh, people the Wonder Like by asking them questions about what they like. So. Rather than do this as a quiz, with a Game of Thrones fan like yourself, I just want to know, if you had to write your series finale, if you're going to write the final episode of this show, at a high level, give us what you want to happen. Oh, man. We, uh, what do they got, two seasons left of the, sh- the show? I think they're, they're going to go four. I think they're going to go longer. They're making too much money. I think they're going to go more than two. Really? I, th- I thought I heard that. I'll have to Google that. Oh, man. Let's say it's two. This is what this this is. I I would uh, I would leave it open ended. This is what I would do. I would somehow, you know, whether the you know Jon Snow, uh, Daenerys Targaryen, Tyrion Lannister thing comes true or whatever, and whether the White Walkers come come through also, I would have you know that kind of a battle, you know, because it's something that's going to probably continue to go on forever and ever type of thing. You know, so I would I would really build it up and then kind of like cut it off, I think, you know, and uh, kind of leave you in suspense, be, not in suspense of what happens, but you know what happens. They're going to continue fighting each other for, you know, years and years and years. You got to give some of the people what they want. It's not necessarily about the uh, the finish line. It's all about the race kind of thing, you know, and, and that would help. Hopefully people would appreciate where Game of Thrones has taken them and, and all this stuff, and they weren't watching it just to see, you know, who grabs the throne. Because whoever grabs the throne, eventually someone else is going to grab it. It's kind of more about more about the, uh, you know, the, the race and less about the finish line. Will there be an Iron Throne? I agree. At the end, would do you, do, you, do you think that's the? Is that just sort of everyone's fighting over this? But at the end, it will be sort of deemed inconsequential to a lar- to larger issues, whether it's freedom throughout the, the area or whether it's just humanity versus, you know, the walkers. Yeah, I think it, I think it will. I think it, it, it would play on itself that like, Oh, this is game of Thrones, but in reality, it's not really going to matter because we need to band together or else we're winter is coming and we're all in, you know, we're all going to be, oops, crap. My, I crap my pants. So. <laughs> What you said is pretty interesting about an open-ended finish. I might not have ever watched the show, but I see it. There's a major death. It cuts to black, and we find out Game of Thrones was all just a prequel for The Sopranos coming 500 <laughs> years later. Hey, Gareth. You know, and, then, you... and then Brand's on a hoverboard, and Veep is up next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Just... This is my perfect HBO Sunday night. Gareth, Gareth just it's can't. not everything's about you, man. 
Yeah, he just can't let like any HBO show go unreferenced. So do you want to get in? Do you want to break down Carnival while we're doing while we're doing this, Garrett? Togetherness, Deadwood. the worst HBO show of all time. Berg, I don't know if you've heard my hot Arliss take, but I got one. <laughs> <laughs> so here we, we are going to have to break down Arliss. Nice. Then the guys of Entourage. Yeah, show up. right. Well, Burke, thank you very much for the time. Yeah. We will be. I, I, by the way, I just looked it up. It's two more seasons after season six is what they believe. I don't believe it. I think they're going to do more. Um, we will be uh, we will be watching with you this year as uh, as the adventures in Westeros happen. And um, thank you again for joining us. And uh, best of luck in 2016. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, as the start of baseball season, it's always also the start of Game of Thrones. So it's uh, exciting times. Today's show is sponsored by The Weatherneck. We spend a lot of time around athletes and super active people, and two things really stand out to us. They love staying active outdoors all year round, and they need quality equipment to do that. Enter The Weatherneck. The Weatherneck is a modern take on the bandana that's quick, quiet, clean, and comfortable, and it's designed specifically for performance outdoors. It features high-tech fabrics and powerful magnets that make it today's outdoor bandana, and it's comfortable. The center mesh section allows for full breath when active outdoors, and the wicking fabrics eliminate the nasty soaking wetness that can bunch up in fleeces. Everyone knows what it's like to put on like a knit scarf, try to be on a bike out in the cold. It's just awful. Your face gets super wet. And it's super convenient. It removes in one second with one hand. That's amazingly helpful if you're on the bike, on the run, or just outdoors doing your thing. I know the guys who created this. They are super smart, super passionate, the types of people I would trust. Go to theweatherneck.com for more information or to place an order, theweatherneck.com. All right, that is our show for this week. Let's do some shout-outs. I want to shout-out Josh Levine. Uh, it, it was great to have him on our podcast. As I mentioned on the top of the show, I was, um, a, I was, I think, the first fan caller on Hang Up and Listen to join the Slate Sports Podcast years ago. Uh, Josh, it was very, very cordial, remembered me, and said he would do the show. We really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun talking to him. And then Burke Badenhop, who really loved... Um, breaking down Game of Thrones with uh, somebody who had a lot of fun, strong opinions about the characters, and uh, uh, we wish him luck going into the season. Gareth, you got any shout-outs? Uh, yeah, shout-out to the cast of Veep. Really excited to see the new season of the show. Uh, yeah, we broke that uh, one yeah. down too, right, guys? Yeah, and hey, Burke emailed. Uh, since, th- since we've taped this, Burke emailed me because I told him, hey, we're probably going to go live with the show next week. And he's like, oh, man. He's like, I tried Veep and just didn't get into it. I was like, oh, Gareth, it's going to be heartbroken. <laughs> hey, at least you tried it. I did. Um, that was really nice. Yeah. And then on the other side of this, uh, this episode, shout out to Josh Levine, Torian Prince, and Jerry Zucker, the writer of the Airplane movies. Josh Levine, I have to give him credit. This is one of the more ingenious sports columns I've seen in a while after Torian Prince of the Baylor bears gave his incredible reply to a really stupid question about rebounding after their first round upset to Yale in the NCAA tournament, which you should seek out anyway. You probably already saw it. If you're listening to this, Josh Levine sent the audio to Jerry Zucker who wrote the airplane comedies, which were hugely influential on my, my 
life. I don't know if Joe Reed's even seen them um, and had him break down Prince's answer. So Josh Levine, that was a pretty ingenious column and Tori and Prince and Jerry Zucker. Thank you for making me laugh. Yeah. And everyone who listens to the show, if you don't listen to hang up and listen, the slate sports podcast with Josh and Mike Pesca and Stefan Fatsis, like I highly recommend it. They are the opposite of us in that we, we, strictly don't talk about sports. They do a really expansive mm-hmm. view on sports. They talk about everything from, you know, the, the, the news of the day to uh, handball and global sports issues, unheralded sports topics. It's a really great listen. It's part of my regular uh, downloads. Adam. And it, well, f- wait, you know what? Wait, wait, Joe, mm. any shout outs today, buddy? Oh shit. No, I was not prepared for that turn of turn of events. Adam. Damn Any shout-outs this week? <laughs> Joe, have you seen Airplane? Uh, yeah, a long, long time ago, but yeah, I have. Who is the star athlete who has a pivotal role in that movie? I believe it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It was. Slow clap. Yeah, baby. Redemption. I know what's up. Adam, any shout-outs? <laughs> Let's not get carried away <laughs> like you just did something monumental. Adam, any shout-outs? Well... As usual, I'd just like to say hi to my friends. Um, you know, there's my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, the legend, Little Swanee, um, Meech, Ron Mack, a guy with a similar name. Your other cousin, Ron? My other cousin, Ron. Love those guys. Thank you, guys, for all you do for the show. And in the immortal words, of Shaquille O'Neal. Booty rappers? Stay booty. Stay booty. The mortal words of MC Hammer, pumps in the bumps. Just because I want to say it. Bye, everyone.